gosh. We're, we're in the in same room. <laughs> wow. This is crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh. Ooh. All right. Do you think oh, we could do this? Let's do this. All right. We're <laughs> right next to each other. I know. This is kind of weird. I know. <laughs> not pixelating. I know. It's very strange. Yeah, there are no weird no. yeah like the, the video chat isn't just gonna like stop at some point in like mid like laugh yes like, you were, yeah either face. of us frozen in a really weird yeah wow okay well let's let's give this a shot <laughs> let's see if it has the same magic yes <laughs> oh, goodness first time ever folks whoa this is you're you're witnessing history being made here <laughs> we're kind of bracing ourselves. yeah we are okay <laughs> Because now I feel like I'm on stage. I feel like I have to like really bring some energy here. <laughs> Whereas like I could kind of fake it from home. You always bring me energy. Okay. All right. Hello, all you efficient community organizers and laid back band managers, and welcome to episode 44. It's actually episode 43. I forgot to change it. <laughs> episode 43, live in person. Live in person. A bookish affair. <laughs> Where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of Happily Ever After. I'm Shannon, she's Shandy, and we love romance. And we're sitting right next to each other. We are the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's Romance Book Club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse, diverse, inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's possible. Someday we will be back in this very conference room. We don't know exactly when. We're on Zoom for now, um, but we'll keep you posted. If you're interested in joining a currently virtual discussion group, have feedback for us, suggestions for the club or podcast, or you just want to say hey, check the show notes for our emails and the link to our Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territories of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, Multnomah, Clackamas peoples, and all other unnamed tribes on which we live, work, and record this podcast with gratitude. With much gratitude. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay, so folks, um, yeah, we're just, we're just going to see how this goes. I kind of feel like we should have done this a long time ago, but I was nervous about masks and hopefully you can understand us all right. We just listened back to the, <laughs> to the intro. <laughs> it sounds pretty good. We sound like we're in a cathedral. Yes, we actually are in a cathedral. It's the, um, it's the Bill Bars Conference Room Cathedral at the Lake Oswego Library. Yeah, it's, very, it's a very little known um, space. <laughs> very high ceilings. Very high ceilings. I mean... You know, the, the stained glass is just incredible. Um. <laughs> the shadow play. Yes, it's really... It's very spiritual. Oh, yeah, so super spiritual. Okay, so, um, all right, well, speaking of, of, our, uh, of our spirituality, <laughs> the Church of Romance, um, let's... <laughs> not to make light of this. No, anymore. not at all, not to be. Anyway, if that's, if that's sacrilegious, I'll edit it out later. Um, anyway, let's talk about our November book club discussion of Heartbeat Braves by Pamela Sanderson. Absolutely. Um, I've got to start with something because it was such a curious comment, yet also really observant. 
Apparently, there were no exclamation. God, I can't even <laughs> say this word. There's no exclamation points throughout the entire book. And for one book clubber, it actually made it really difficult to read emotions. I thought that was so interesting. It, it kind of like it made me giggle at first because it was just such a cute observation to make. It reminded me of when Anya um, pointed out in Island Affair how often Priscilla Oliveras uh, mentioned the character's hands. And it's those those really small kinds of details that I don't necessarily tend to pick up pick up on because I read really quickly. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, it's nice to be able to sort of rely on those other book club members to point out these things. And yeah, like you said, it was a really astute observation. I would, and I would have to go back through, but I, I do feel like there are a lot of moments in this book that would potentially merit an exclamation point. You know, our building is flooding. We missed a crucial deadline. My mom is using tough love on me. I can't find my grandpa. But, you know, that said, I also really liked the laid back sort of deadpan dialogue and style of humor and it's it's harder to do that if you're using a lot of exclamation points i mean maybe the characters just can't get too riled up because they're like oh yeah here's another <laughs> thing to deal with like i mean for the lack of exclam exclamation points <laughs> there was a lot of drama happening in a short period of time which by the way i wasn't actually sure how much time kind of passed was it like two weeks two months a summer um, what was the timeline? But, you know, drama. So much drama. Definitely drama. You you expected any moment, you know, the rivers to turn to blood and, you know, the, the plague boils to appear and the and the frogs to start coming out of the sky. It was just that every... It, it seemed like whatever could go wrong for these poor people definitely did. <laughs> I would just, side note, it is Sunday, so hence a lot of different references. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> so true we are um yeah we are recording this on on that that day of days so yeah who know, i mean who knows what uh what biblical and other spiritual references we'll find, we'll find yeah I'm, I'm sure so okay so let's back up for a moment and just do a quick summary um i will do it this time because you always get stuck doing the summary um so heartbeat braves is the first in a quartet of books that focuses on the crooked rock urban indian center which is a fictional up-and-coming community center in an unnamed small city, we will discuss our theories on what small city that might be later. Um, Rayanne is our heroine, and she is super committed and driven, and she wants nothing more than to make the center a reality. She has all these great ideas, and she's also the person who's going to follow through with all of those great ideas. Um, but the, the center just keeps hitting stumbling blocks. And one of the biggest, <laughs> a very you know tall, handsome stumbling block with abs, um, is Henry. Uh, and Henry is a young man who's recently graduated college. His uncle is on the board of the center, and his uncle has finagled him a job at the center despite no one, even Henry, actually wanting that to happen. He just thinks uh, that Henry needs to have something to do. Um, and so, you know, can they work together to save the center? Will they fall in love while they're at it? I'm pretty sure you all know the answer to that one because we're talking about it on this podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit about club members' thoughts on the book. What did you think, Shannon, of our hero and heroine? Um, uh, you're kind of young. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, so 
I didn't always connect with Rayanne. Um, she was just so focused and organized and responsible. And I just, and maybe because I was thinking back to when I was 22, um, I was so far from that, um, that I couldn't imagine someone at that age being so hyper-focused and organized and responsible. So um, I just kind of felt that they were a bit young and I didn't quite know how to relate to them. However, you know, someone else in the group found her hyper-focused personality actually believable uh, given her absent parents, like her father wasn't around, her mother was um, addicted to drugs and, and she was raised by her grandparents. So, the, you know, the, there was the observation that you know, in, in a sense, too, that these people, Rayanne and Henry, had, like, mismatched parents. Um, so, like, Rayanne was very similar uh, and like-minded to Henry's mother, and Henry was very similar to Rayanne's grandfather. So it almost felt like there was a lot of over-functioning and under-functioning happening in, in some of these relationships. It was just such, I know I keep using the word astute, but it was so, um, I, I don't know, it would never have occurred to me to think of that way, think of it that way, the, the sort of mismatched parents theory. You know, Henry is kind of at loose ends, it's true. He's recently finished college. He doesn't really want to do anything except manage his friend's indigenous hip-hop hip -hop band, the Beat Braves. But uh, Henry's mom and his uncle Arnie are like, you need a real job. Stop trying to crash at my place. Hey, I found you a job you don't want. Oh, now you're starting to like the job that I found you that you don't want. But I actually found you another one and now you have to move back to the res. You know, so in a sense, you know, Rayanne being super driven and focused would have been the perfect daughter for Henry's mom. Although then one might ask, who, whom then would she have fussed over? Um, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Henry's mom really needs a kid like Henry to fuss over. And, you know, Henry would have gotten along well with Rayanne's grandpa. In fact, does get along really well with Rayanne's grandpa. Um, her grandpa raised her, but now he sort of chafes of what he sees as her overprotectiveness now that he's getting older and needs more help. Um, since we're on the topic of the, of the supporting cast, let's talk about them because... I shouldn't speak for everyone here, but most people in clubs seem to agree that the romance was not exactly at the top of our list when we talked about what we liked best about the book. No, it wasn't. Um, you know, Rayanne and Henry are just so young. It's hard. It was kind of hard for some of us to really invest in their happily ever after. Um, it definitely felt more like a happily for now. Um, I couldn't actually get from Rayanne that she was totally invested in it. Yeah. And honestly, the group was a little, it was actually a little divided. So I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Um, while some felt the romance needed to be built up more, others did enjoy it, which is great. But ultimately the romance didn't feel like the most interesting part of the story. Like the supporting characters, the community that Sanderson's created, the urban center, the conflict with buying the building, those were both more believable and more interesting than the romance itself. Like, so I, th I think, you know, in some, in some ways we kind of agreed that it was like romance light. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this book a lot more once I stopped thinking of it as a capital R romance. At that point, I just sort of embraced it for what it is. I was, I was fascinated with everything that was going on in terms of you know, what do you need to do to, and I've, I've never worked in this world, so who knows, um, 
what do you need to do to get a small nonprofit community center off the ground? You know, and I, I loved hearing about what kind of programs they wanted to offer. They wanted to do lunches for elders and ran and in particular was really focused on things. I love that. Yeah, programs for elders, you know, like her grandpa, oh. people who might live alone but need that sense of community. Delivering food. Yes. Oh, she that's such a good her, part. She took it upon herself to deliver food to this community of people. And I just, I love that. It was so cool. She would, once a week, she would just get into her kitchen, make a bunch of food, portion it out, mm-hmm. and then take it around to, I don't know, like six, seven, eight different yeah. households ending the night at her grandpa's house and then eating with him and that's actually kind of when she and Henry you know she and Henry have this sort of chemistry and interest in each other from the beginning because they're just both so attractive um <laughs> but <laughs> but uh but that's one of the moments where um where you really see them connecting and Henry's actually very good at cooking um, and so he starts helping her with that yeah. project and then they go and they talk to the elders and they go and meet Ryan's grandpa and it's pretty great. I really, I really, really I think that. if they had more moments like that, yeah. then I could have been more invested in their relationship because that was like a great opportunity for them to connect and get to know each other. You know, as it were, it's like, he was just like, oh, she's so cute. Mm-hmm. She's so good. And she's like, oh, I guess he's, he's hot. Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Yeah, like in the very first chapter of the book, there's this this sort of push and pull between, you know, Rayanne obviously thinks that Henry's really attractive right away, but she also finds him pretty annoying right away. And threatening. And th- and threatening, yeah, because he's basically, his well, uncle has just said, here, Rayanne's job is now yours, Henry, without yeah. asking anybody. Um, so yeah, so she's both, you know, she's like attracted, but also annoyed and threatened. It's not a great recipe for romance, it's not um, a good start. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, and I loved how, um, I loved reading about how the other people at the center, Linda, who's the director, um, Esther and Tommy, who are um, other folks who work there and how they all work together with Rayanne and then Henry, um, their relationships with elders like, uh, like Rayanne's grandpa, but also Margie, who is the former director of the center and now lives on her own. And everybody's a little bit worried about her. And, Side note, I actually really, I really liked the treatment of, this is something I said in book club, but I liked the treatment of Margie as, she is a person whose ideas about the center they are moving away from. And they are saying, this will work with our vision, but it doesn't really work with Margie's vision because she just has sort of an older school way of looking at things. Um, and, And yet to acknowledge and honor her contributions her the you know that knowledge that the, the center would not be you know it would never have happened without her but to also be able to say we're now taking a different path i thought that was really interesting and really indicative of that kind of love and respect for the older generation that sort of suffuses this book i really like that yeah. a lot you know, I, I mean, Henry's friends in the Beat Braves band who are a little bit, you know, they're a little bit comic relief. They're just these kind of screwball guys, but they're also making really cool music that's sort of groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, Arnie and Linda, or, you know, they have this sort of longtime friendship that's certainly going to end up being something more. Anyway, there's just a lot going on with the whole cast here, and I really like that. Totally. There's some, there's definitely, like, fantastic themes. Again, fantastic um supporting characters 
and I guess that that really like it speaks to the community that she's that Sanderson has created. Um, not to be flippant, but what I want to know <laughs> is what happened to the building purchase. Why did it fall through? Does it matter? <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I mean, it's kind of a big thing in the book. I mean, were these, you know, were the people who were selling the building just disorganized jerks? Is there something more sinister going on? I do think that that is something that's going to be returned to in the later books. And yeah. if you sort of, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, to, to give these books their due, you just want to think of it as just one overarching story. Um, you know, because it's very much... That's true, yeah. Um, now, what did you think about Sanderson alternating between not not just two points of view, Rayanne and Henry, but actually four points of view between Rayanne and Henry and also Linda and Arnie? I mean, Heartbeat Braves basically introduced two couples. How was that for you? I I mean, it's unusual. You really don't... Although we did see that a little bit in Big Bad Wolf. Oh, that's Actually, true, yeah. when you think about it. So two in a row, we had these kind of extra couples. And, and in Big Bad Wolf, you actually had the side love story. One of the side love stories yeah. resolved, yeah. Um, sort of. And then one of them a little bit more up in the air and I think is going to continue to be sort of a side story rather than getting its own book. That's the sense I got. Um, this one... You're just getting the beginnings of what's going on with Linda and Arnie and it and and you know, I I love them. And in some ways they're more interesting than Rayanne and Henry, who are just, you know, no offense, so young. Um, you know, Linda and Arnie have history. They are I don't know, what do you think? They're are they in their forties? I assume they're in their forties. I got thirties. Yeah, I'm it's hard it's hard to say. Um But they were older. Yeah, they're older. They met in college when they were idealistic student activists and you get a sense how they of how they they have changed and also haven't changed since then you know arnie has kind of gone into politics and um and wants to help that way while linda is working in the nonprofit world on a, a shoestring budget another thing i really liked about linda is that she is she is portrayed as a person who has got a million things going on her desk is a mess she sometimes misses deadlines but there's never any question about her competence. Yeah, I really liked that about her. I really like these details about Linda's character. She felt real, she felt familiar, and and just both believable and like someone you wanted to spend time with. Um, she is Rayanne's mentor, and you really understood why. It's like, this is someone that you want to follow. Yeah, totally. And and also they're they also have this kind of partnership because Rayanne is the person mm -hmm. who will be like, Well, actually I put that memo on your desk like ten days ago and you know, Linda's like, Oh no, I'm so sorry, I lost it. I put something down on top of it, whatever. But you know, Rayanne has this, you know, this like sort of hyper organized they're always talking about her folders and the little different colored post-it notes that she uses. And I don't I relate. I appreciate by that. Totally appreciate. Don't relate to it all. Um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a Linda. Um, <laughs> except like without the, um, you know, without the leadership qualities. <laughs> so wait a minute. So is there anything good about what I am? <laughs> At this point, I'd be more Rayanne. You know? you're, you're the face of a bookish affair. The leader of us. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a... Um, we're like co-consuls. You know how in ancient Rome, there, there were always two... There were always two consuls at a time so that nobody could get more power than the other? Of course, that all went to heck when, 
um, when Julius Caesar came along. But, uh, but the consul system worked pretty okay for a while. Um, so maybe we're co-consuls of this of this tiny republic. Is that what we're doing? Okay. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Uh, speaking of um, familiar and places, <laughs> you know, that was kind of a leap. Um, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to go with it. Uh, where do you think this was set? Like, I know that Sand- um, I, I believe Sanderson lives in the Pacific Northwest. There's a reference to Warm Springs. But we couldn't figure out where this was supposed to be, like what town this was set in. Like, was it Oregon? Was it Washington? Was it Portland? Was it Salem? The front cover kind of suggests the Portland Park blocks, but the location seemed a little unclear. Like, how did that did that? And and if so, how did that impact what you thought of this world? I was definitely curious, and it was something I thought about as I was reading. Um, I wouldn't say it bothered me, but I am definitely, I I would love to know what she was thinking of when she wrote it. One club member ventured Bend as a possible location. I thought that was a really solid theory. Um, And then you brought up a street name that you recognized from Salem. Yeah, I thought I did. Um, (laughs) I looked it up because that's me. It doesn't quite fit. So, you know, there goes that theory. (laughs) Well, if any of you read it and you have a theory about where it might be set, or if you just think it's set in a fictional Northwest small city, uh, let us know. (laughs) This may just be one of those mysteries that we never solve. It's true. (laughs) So, okay, so on a a little bit of a more serious note, um, a club member or two asked if it was appropriate to use the word braves in the title, and that led to a bit of a conversation about how many inside jokes are in this book. Jokes that are shared between Native characters about the experiences and the history that they share. There's this great moment, and I I don't think I'm going to do it justice, but I just really love it. Um, Ran gets into a car, a van, with Henry and the guys in the band, and they're all, you know, jokesters. And, of course, they all, like, she's just the, the prettiest woman any of them have seen in, like, a really long time and so they're kind of like oh well pretty girl uh, she just you know she just looks around and she says something like something along the lines of there's a joke about a van full of indians to be made here but i don't know what it is yet <laughs> just i don't know why but that just hit me so hard in the funny boat i just uh, like I, I really liked that um there's another ongoing gag between ran and henry that i can't really go into too much detail about here because this is a family podcast, but uh, if you read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about. It, it's also not just goofy jokes. I mean, this is a funny and charming book and that's something I loved about it, but it's also very serious and it talks about really difficult stuff that our characters experience. There's a scene where Henry and his roommate are being kicked out of their of their sublet apartment um, by a bunch of guys who just, they just stand there and hurl racist slurs at them and throw all of their stuff out onto the lawn and and just threaten them and bully them until they feel like they have to leave to preserve their safety. And you know, we don't we don't know why the building sale fell through, but there's concern that racism may be a factor there as well. And from a, you know, from an outsider's perspective, those shared jokes and those shared experiences felt to me like a way of saying, you know, despite everything we're still here, we can still laugh, they can't take joy and connection away from us? Yeah, I mean, certainly in the scene where Henry and his roommate are being um, 
their stuff is literally being tossed out, has been tossed out onto the lawn. Um, they, they, it's clear that they want to fight back. I mean, it's humiliating, but for self-preservation, they can't. Um, there's, there is like a real intimacy in those moments. Um, there are things that I imagine as an indigenous person, you would understand and identify with at the same time, like as someone who isn't, I, I didn't feel excluded or locked out of the conversation. It was certainly a window, um, to a different culture and to a different experience and, and one that I can't appropriate but I can definitely begin to understand and empathize with. And I thought Sanderson did really treated that very well. And um, I, I really, like I said, there's just like these, I can't think of another word other than <laughs> intimacy. Like I just, yeah. I felt trusted to be part of this. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And you know, you're just reading this scene, which is, which is very much, you know, in sort of a modern, on a, a modern and, and you know, on, on the scale of just, a, you know, of, of a few people is, you know, sort of echoes the forced displacement of Native peoples since, you know, since Europeans arrived on the continent. Um, and I think Henry actually makes, he makes a reference, and I can't remember if it's in a, you know, sort of dark humor kind of way, but, um, you know, he makes a reference to that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it is, I think that's a really great way to put it. You just feel, um trusted with like thank you Pamela Sanderson for sharing that with us you know for writing this book and 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 so that we can read it and and try and try to understand things better well and just again be aware of the history and the and the cultural impact that has on all of us yeah generational trauma yeah I mean it's yeah uh, you know and, and back to the use of braves in the title um I think it's very different from, say, I don't know, the name of a baseball team or um, a non-Native author attempting to write Native characters. And there's a long history in historical romance um, of, of, of white authors writing Native characters in, in ways that, that range from... Anyway, none of it's good. <laughs> there are a few it's inappropriate. Yeah, there are a few writers who do write. You know, Beverly Jenkins, for example, um, has uh, has often been praised for her treatment of of native and multiracial characters um, who have native heritage. Um, you know, but also like when we read Night Song, Beverly Jenkins' first book, and the hero used the words "braves" and "maidens" to describe young native men and women. We were kind of like, that's very jarring. <laughs> this is. I'm reading this in 2021, and uh, and it seems so old-fashioned, um, and Indeed. yeah, and it, and you know it was used in a very there's there's never any question that the character in question um, deeply respects indigenous peoples and his friends who are indigenous. Um, yeah, so you just had kind of that strange moment, but in a, in a sense, I think Pamela Sanderson is. Uh, you know, she's reclaiming the word braves here. And I think that's okay. That's, she gets to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, um, I think even in the group, you brought up this idea of like both appropriate use and appropriation. Um, there are words that vary in meaning depending on who is saying it or writing it. And it felt appropriate for Sanderson to use the word braves in the context of her story and her background. Since it's not my world, um, 
I, I, I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable using it as a way to describe anyone, uh, an indigenous person or a group. Like, you know, so I guess it, it's that, it's that like fine line of, you know, appropriate use and appropriation. Yeah, there's, there's also sort of a, on a similar note, there's a really interesting note at the end of the book. Um, and it also appears in the FAQ section on her website, um, an answer to the question, did you use native models for the cover art for this series of books? And so she kind of, you know, anticipated the question and says, you know, no, she was not able to find stock photos of native couples. And she, it sounded like she had had something, you know, she had something that she thought was gonna work out, but it ended up falling through. And she actually goes on to say, hey, if any of your readers know or are members of cute native couples, get in touch because she'd love to work with them, which I thought was really cool. Um, so I brought it up in the meeting because I thought it showed that Pamela Sanderson is sort of thinking about representation and, um, and knowing that her readers are too, especially knowing how difficult it can be to find own voices, indigenous romance. Of course, that's what the whole second half of this episode will be about. Um, so, you know, it, it, it felt like she was, she was saying that she, it, she, I don't know, she just wanted to sort of answer that question. Um, it was suggested in club that another option for her would have been rather, go, rather than going with stock photos, um, maybe she could have gone with an illustrated cover or a cover involving photographs of native art. Um, what, what, what did you think about that? At risk of going on a tangent. <laughs> uh, I do think this is an important conversation. And so like this summer in August, when Helen Hong's The Heart Principle came out, there was actually a lot of criticism about the book cover, that the woman on the cover is not the character in the book. And, And I just wonder if, because oh, I see this all the time, like, like I, I, I can't even remember what I was reading, but I was just like looking at the front cover. I'm like, that is not the hero <laughs> that I'm reading. So I just wonder if a white author would be subjected to this kind of scrutiny. Um, because it seems that recently I've just noticed that there are, uh, there is a conversation that, uh, kind of falls to BIPOC authors' books that are actually getting called out. And I just, I, I, I'd love to hear other points of view, um, but this is starting to sort of, I, I'm just starting to become aware of it and it doesn't necessarily feel right. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those moments where, you know, we have the conversation in club and then the more we sort of ruminate on it, both of us individually, and then we start talking about it together. And, you know, I, I read that, that note, that author's note as um, answering a question that she anticipated from her indigenous readers mm -hmm. um, and not a, you know, a white reader asking, well, why didn't you use native, native couples for your art? Like, you know, she it knew wasn't people... an invitation for criticism. Yeah, no, it was not an invitation for criticism. And maybe, you know, maybe, heck, like, maybe she just doesn't want an illustrated cover. She made the right call for herself and her process. Maybe she will re-release the books with new covers someday. Well, aren't these self-published? 
Yeah. And so it's just like, I imagine that she had a very specific idea about what she wanted for her front cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so she found what is what would work. And I think she also has a dream of finding a particular population to model for her characters. Yeah. And maybe that was like an invitation of saying, hey, uh, this is like just short of a casting call. Exactly. That's, that's kind of exactly just what it is. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, one of those moments where we're kind of, uh, we're, we're just sort of kind of examining our own um our own responses our own to, responses con- to conversations that come up you know and it's i feel like i'm learning on the fly which is extremely imperfect um and, and sadly a little quiet sometimes but you're open to learning and that's and that's the important thing and you know we've talked about this so many times like we will be wrong everybody will be wrong while we try to figure this out um, and we will, when we make mistakes, we apologize, move on, and do better. That's just, that's just the way of the world. Or so, oh my gosh, so wise. Um. <laughs> so wise, Shandy. <laughs> I just hate putting my foot in my mouth. Oh, it's very, yeah. Which, there's, that's, for me, that's the growth. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can identify pretty quickly. It's just like taking that risk. Mm-hmm. Which is why I can do it without you like speaking to a a brick of a phone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so can I just like begin to sort of move us forward? Let's. Um, towards the end of the meeting we discussed some other books, um, such as Yellow Raft on Blue Water by Michael Doris, Susan Powers, The Glass Dancer. And the um, Kate Shugak series by Dana Stabenow. I guess the character is native, and the the author is not. I've read from a number of people that it actually is really a, a good um, character, mm. um, but I I have not read it myself, so I can't vouch for it. Um, also, we talked about anything by Louise Erdrich. Uh, Louise Erdrich is just on the top of everyone's. Native, um, everyone's list of Native American authors, and honestly, for good reason. She's freaking incredible. She really is. And her latest, The Sentence, is getting great reviews. But we started this conversation because we wanted to focus on Native romance authors. And um, we keep learning about new, new, new authors it's, and this is awesome it's so great i um I'm, it's just so exciting to be having this conversation and you know it's a it's a conversation that we had a year ago and have you know have, have touched on in the year since for sure um you know i think we talked in our uh beginning of the year episode about how we wanted you know how i i realized that was a gap in my reading mm-hmm. was that i really wanted to make sure that i was intentional about seeking out more indigenous authors and you know when we did this research a year ago, I think we found one book riot article. Yeah, there wasn't much. There and wasn't, now yeah. there's more coming up. Yeah, yeah. You found a really interesting Twitter thread that Beverly Jenkins started. Um, Kira, our fiction librarian, sent us a link. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some really good stuff out there, and we are going to talk about some of these authors. So one Native author that we are really planning to prioritize is Cole McCade, and he identifies as multiracial, Black, Asian, and Native American. And 
Can we, dare we reveal this just yet? Go for it. <laughs> we have chosen his book, Just Like This, as our November 2022 pick. So, folks, this is our first official announcement of one of our 2022 it's picks. It's fitting, too, because we're live. I know, we're live. It's amazing. <laughs> live as in we're you know, together. Together. And we'll I will, be editing. I will edit this later. <laughs> um, I will edit out every, edit out every sniffle. Um, because we know what those sound waves look like because we make a lot of them. Um, so just like this is a, it's an MM romance between uh, two teachers at a private high school. One of the heroes is native. Um, I'm really excited about this one. And I want to do some more research on Cole McCade's backlist because I'm curious about whether he's written other romances that feature native characters. Um, have you read this one yet? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't. I mean, Cole McCade is new to me, um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to learning more about him and reading his work. Yeah, me too. Um, Just Like This is from Harlequin's Karina Adores imprint, which I think makes it our first category romance pick for this book club. Mm-hmm. Certainly won't be the last. Um, speaking of, because you know I like to speak of category romance as much as, and, and as frequently as possible, Um, I just finished a great one by Robin Covington. Um, She is biracial and has Cherokee ancestry. Um, She, so she has a, um, the first in a series called Red Hawk Reunion. Um, And the first one is called Taking on the Billionaire from Harlequin Desire. So, you know, billionaires, ostentatious wealth, you know, et cetera. Um, So the hero named Adam Red Hawk, he is native and he was separated from his siblings as a child when they were all adopted out to different families. Um, So he hires a private investigator, fiery redhead, Tess Lynch, which is my maiden name. So of course I identified with her immediately, despite being neither fiery nor a redhead, Um, nor a private investigator. (laughs) No, but you are, you actually are fiery um, and you do have research skills. You are not a redhead. (laughs) That's right, I do have some research skills. That's a good, it's a good point. Um, I don't know if I'd make much of a private investigator, but I am very nosy, so it could work. All right, well, second career, there we go. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so he hires Tess to find his brother and sister, and then later on to help him out with a corporate espionage case. Really, of course, he just wants to keep hanging out with her because she's so beautiful and interesting. Um, But and, And I really do love the love story here. I think it's very just emotional and dramatic and romantic. Um, but a big part of Adam's journey as a person, and thus as a partner, is him figuring out how to be a family with his brother and sister again, reunited as adults when they haven't seen each other for, what, 20 years probably? Of course, it was really the system that let them down, but he has spent his whole life blaming himself for their separation. And part of the leap that he needs to make is coming to terms with the fact that he was he was a child when this happened and he truly had no control, even if he felt like if he felt like there was something he could have done. Um, but this was not really something that could have been um, that could have been avoided because of uh, just yeah, because of, of, of the system. And so um, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, so each of the books in the series will feature one of the Red Hawk siblings. And I am definitely going to read them all because I really liked this one. It was so good. Um, Seducing His Secret Wife is the next one. And that one features Justin, who is Adam's business partner in his billionaire 
billionaire tech firm, whatever blah thing that he does. <laughs> you can tell how intrigued I am by the um, by the billionaire stuff. Uh, so he finds himself in a secret marriage, cool, and into that trope with Adam's younger sister. Less into that trope, as you know. Her name is Serena. Um, she is a really interesting character in Taking on the Billionaire. She's very complex and she's very, she's the one in the family who's really struggling with the reunion. Um, she has been on her own and can, has only been able to count on herself for so long that she, she's finding it next to impossible to open up to her brothers. So she's really going to need to come to terms with her past and, and now her present and, you know, what's what's going to be her future with this family. So I think that's going to be really interesting. I I just, so I just finished uh, taking on the billionaire Yay! last night and I um, have seducing his secret wife. Uh, I find it um, fascinating that Robin Covington has wrote two books of your least favorite tropes that have you <laughs> seriously interested and engaged and you haven't thrown them across the room yet. So hats off to Robin Covington for creating the series that you will read despite <laughs> the like the billionaire and the little sister <laughs> theme. Despite my most loathsome tropes. It's so true. I just I really I really thought that book was was, you know, it's it's short, but it's really punchy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, just yeah, packs a packs a huge emotional punch. It's funny, you know, we, we often don't realize that we're reading the same thing until we start putting together an episode. So I'm really excited that you finished it and you liked it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you just have good taste. Well, so <laughs> what, whatever you talk about, I, 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 I run to pick up. So um, I was, I was, you know, I think when we first started talking about what we were reading, I was in the middle of it. I was like, how does it all come yes. together? And then I, I, I finished it and I was, I was really surprised, you know, I mean, this category is short, like it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's, she fit a lot of stuff in there and it never felt too packed or too rushed. Um, another thing that I, I loathe that also features in this book is a secret revenge plan. Yeah. Where one of the characters is using the other, but also falling in love with them at the same time. Totally. I just really don't like that at all. Oh um, yeah. So anyway, Robin Kevington, thank you. Um. Oh, and in that, like, yeah, trust is lost. But then it was um, Adam's business partner, Justin Lang. His comment back to him, like reflecting on like his beha his own behavior. So great. So I'm good. Like, that is just like such, ah, it was like a great way to put him in his place. Yeah, it really was. Like, was. go Justin Lee. I know, I know. I'm really excited to read him as the hero of, yeah. of the next one. Um, yeah, sounds like he and Serena are probably going to butt heads, but, but then also look into each other's eyes and, you know, things will happen. Um, yeah, one, one more before we move on from, one more thing before we move on from Robin Covington um, I was looking at that Beverly Jenkins Twitter thread. Um, Robin Covington weighs in on it, on, in on it in several places. Um, but she, speaking about her own experience, she says, this is a quote, I claim no official tribal affiliation and don't have the experience of living on a reservation. Like a lot of Native Americans, my ancestors moved to towns and we had to maintain connection via family, traditions, etc. 
I bring that perspective to my stories, end quote. I thought that was really interesting and it kind of doubled back to the whole point of what Pamela Sanderson's characters are trying to achieve with the Urban Indian Center. How do you keep those connections when you no longer live in community? You know, and what might eventually be lost if spaces like Crooked Rock are not available? That's a really fascinating conversation. And it's clear that it's a theme that we're seeing over and over because I, I just um, read Where the Snowy Owl Sleeps by Mimi Milan. And that really um, kind of brings together, you know, displaced tribe with you know, the, the primarily white people of Blessings, California, and how do they integrate and be, you know, like how do you maintain, how, how could they maintain their traditions while also like building bridges? Totally, and um, so Mimi Milan identifies as Taino. Um, the Taino are the indigenous people of the Caribbean and Florida, and we have talked about her before. Um, I haven't been sure where to start with her historicals, the covers are all really, really pretty, um, and I hadn't. Um, I I had seen the I had seen where the snowy owl sleeps, but I wasn't sure if it was own voices, so I had kind of backburnered it. Um, I know her historicals are pretty low spice, um, so yeah. Tell tell us more. I want I want to know more about this book. Oh, low spice. <laughs> Did you want to know more about the book or the spice level? Well, I mean, you I know. Mean, so yeah, no, it's it's very sweet. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. it. It actually becomes a marriage of convenience of sorts, um, kind of late into the, the, the story. Um, and it's, again, low spice. Um, it's part of a series called Brides of Blessings about the California gold rush. Um, Mimi Milan, I believe, wrote maybe may, uh, three of these novellas. Yes, I think there's one about a desperado, which yeah, I'm also and... quite intrigued by. Yes. I'm excited about those. Um, I am also reading um, Love Beyond Body, Space, and Time, which uh, has a subtitle of an indigenous LGBT sci-fi anthology. It features authors like Cherie Dimeline, Richard Van Camp, um, whom I only knew from his beautiful children's books that he's done with Julie Flett, um, and Darcy Little Badger, who has a, uh, a new newish YA book out the title of which escapes me, but has been, I've, I've heard a lot of nice things about. Um, I would just like to point out, this is another example of our mind meld, mm -hmm. and we are reading the same thing. <laughs> I have also picked up Love uh, Beyond Body, Space, and Time. Um, I picked it up because it features Mari Curisato. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's actually a pen name. Um, Mari is an LGBTQ Western um, Ojibwe author. Their work is featured in another anthology as well called Love After the End, an anthology of two-spirit and indigiqueer speculative fiction. Um, and both stories from both anthologies are really fascinating. Not totally romance, but really good. Nice. I will, I will place a hold on that one as well. Um, you know, we, we do love an anthology here at A Book of Chauvet. When you're done, you just have a whole bunch of new authors to seek out, which is great. Who else? Oh, you have got a YA author to tell us about. Cynthia Lytick-Smith. She is Muskegee Creek and has several books 
for YA middle grade and elementary age um, children. Her latest, uh, Hearts Unbroken, is a young adult novel and is getting really strong reviews. In fact, uh, Robin Covington is super hyped about it um, and just totally, you know, sung its praises on Twitter. Um, so I need to check that one out. Yeah, I am definitely going to prioritize that one. And I feel like it could be a really good pick for book club, maybe in 2023, maybe November. Um, you know, it, this is a conversation for another day, for sure. Um, but it was so, one of our best book club discussions ever was at Felix Ever After. And we will recap that someday, I promise. <laughs> the months have really gotten away from us. Um but uh, Felix Ever After was our first YA pick, and it, it just brought up so many interesting ideas in book club. One of the reasons we chose two YA books for 2022. So there's another little reveal, another Easter egg, if you will. Um, okay, Shanjin totally, over. Totally Taylor Swifting it with the Easter egg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, Cynthia Lytic Smith. Um, you may, if you are a fan, if you're fond of picture books, you may know her from her beautiful picture book, Jingle Dancer. Um, that's one that I really like. And she's got a new middle grade novel out that got a rave review from Debbie Reese of the blog, American Indians and Children's Literature, which if you are a school librarian, you probably look at that all the time. Like I do. Um, that one is called Sisters of the Never See, and it is Peter Pan, but without the terrible stereotypes. So I'm really excited to get to that one. Okay, back to books for grown-ups. Who else do we have? Another author um, I'd like to spotlight is um, Carrie Lindell. Uh, she wrote a lot about cowboys, ranching, rodeos. I believe she is a member of the Blackfeet tribe, uh, lived in Montana. As soon as I learned about her, I also read on her website that she passed away in 2020. So my sincere condolences to her family. Yeah, from what we've read, she and her work are just really respected and beloved. It sounds like she really knew her stuff when it came to rodeo life. It sounds like she really had experience yep. with that and that she will be very sincerely missed. People just, um, she seems like a delightful person who wrote delightful books. And I just picked up one of her rodeo romances, Fearless in Texas. Mm. So I will report back. Um, you also told me about the Ojibwe author, Maggie Blackbird. I managed to sneak in a couple of her novellas this week. Um, they're so short, barely 50 pages. Um, thanks to you and because of you, and these are sort of Thanksgiving holiday romances. Um, thanks to you features an HFN, a happy for now for the couple, and then their HEA arrives in because of you. Um, there, yeah, there's a lot to like. These books are short and sweet. Um, the heroine is named Paulina. She is a no-nonsense type A straight-laced finance person very much in uh you know I think she and Rayanne would probably get along great or drive each other crazy hard to say um she works for the health authority at her tribe's reserve in Ontario um so she is First Nations um she lives in Canada and she pops down to Minnesota for some Black Friday shopping swings by the casino that's supposed to have a great cafe and the best ice cream and then she goes out to her car her pickup truck in the parking lot to leave, um, eating an ice cream cone and her car won't start. So Trip happens to be walking by. He works in security at the casino. And of course he's extremely handsome. Um, and he, you know, he helps out. He's very, you know, it doesn't hurt that she, he finds her beautiful, um, but he's also just a kind man. He's a widower. 
um, really misses his, his, his wife and has not dated for a long time. Anyway, there's a spark and he helps out. Um, and she ends up coming back with him to his house for American Thanksgiving because he was just going to eat by himself and things ensue. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really interesting. There's a lot going on in these very short books. Um, Trip and Paulina are both Ojibwe, but Trip lives in the States. Paulina lives in Canada. So there's a lot of interesting banter about different terminology, you know, band versus tribe, reserve versus reservation. Um, once they get together for good, they're going to have to decide which side of the border they're going to live on. And there's some complicated legal stuff going on there in addition to the emotional side. So yeah, I'm really glad I read these. Thank you for telling me about Maggie Blackbird. And she has a bunch of MM romances too. So I'm going to try one of those. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, as we kind of opened up with every year, we're, we're discovering new indige indigenous authors. There's either we're just becoming more aware of them um, or, you know, hopefully just people are deciding that they want to write, you know, their own stories. Uh, it just makes me so happy. And I'm realizing that if you can't find an indigenous author, creator, business owner, you may not be looking hard enough, folks. Totally possible, <laughs> and we are always here to help if you have, if you need help. That is very true, both as librarians and as romance fanatics. Um, so, tell us if you have any favorite Indigenous authors that we miss. We would love to hear from you. Um, let's see. Do we have time to talk about what we're reading? So, Shannon. Last time we casted, we were both slumping mightily, and I would love to know if you've managed to claw your way out of that pit of despair. You are actually clawing the conference room table right now. Oh, hear that, folks? Hear that? Oh. <laughs> there are going to be You're huge like, grooves from your fingernails in this conference room table. <laughs> we're just taking on like an old like radio show. Um, okay. Um, I'm slowly coming out of my reading slump. Uh, reading slump. Slump. Um, I just started, uh, I just read Breath by James Nestor. He wrote Deep Freediving Renegade Science and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves, which you, Shandy, uh, recommended and was, wow, super riveting. I love that book. Um, so quite simply, Breath is about the evolution of humans' physical capacity to breathe, as well as kind of like the proper way to breathe. It's really interesting. Um, Nestor is just an engaging author, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I also started listening to The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. Finally, I think you've been talking about them for a while. I also got Jay to listen to them with me. I think we're now on book five, the sole novel-length story among all these novellas. Seriously, the story is fantastic. The narrator is amazing. Just so good definitely a slump buster i highly recommend it i highly recommend that series so good i read most of them with my eyeballs and then i started um listening to the audiobooks which are narrated by kevin r free and i they're, they're just so good um oh this says i need to keep an eye on the clock because the maximum recording time for segments is 60 minutes okay oh. so um yeah i i know our coworker ken will be thrilled that you're reading them i think it might actually be his life's mission to make sure that as many people as possible read Murderbot. So 
Um, are what else are you reading these days? Any holiday romance, perchance? Yep, but we'll save that for another time. I guess we How probably should. Have you found your way out of reading? <laughs> yes. Well. Yes. Um, but everything that I'm reading is holiday romance, and so I can't talk about it in this episode. So this is going to be a short, what are we so reading tune now? In. So make sure you tune in for our holiday romance episode forthcoming um, later this month. Thank you. Thank you for waiting so long for this episode. Yeah, thank you so much for your patience. <sighs> well, and of course we could talk all day, but apparently Anchor is going to only let me record one 60-minute second, and the clock is ticking down and also we actually kind of have to work yeah um because the library will open fairly soon (laughs) but we'd love to hear from you folks did you read any new authors or books in honor of native american heritage month are you gearing up for holiday romance did you read heartbeat braves and are you going to read the rest of the series let us know you can comment on an lopl social media post you can email us or you can find me on my dusty old bookstagram at shandy b reads and honestly, if you guys want to get in on these, um, you know, monthly discussions, um, please join us for our upcoming December meeting on Sunday, December 12th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Our book pick is Jasmine Guillory's uh, Royal Holiday. I'm so excited. This should definitely get us in the holiday frame of mind so that we can talk about all of our holiday reads. Yay! So yeah, if you want to join us, please contact either Shandy or myself. We can't wait to talk to you soon. Yay! This was fun! Yay! <laughs> oh my gosh, in person for the first time! I mean, we've seen each other, but to record for the, like our 43rd episode of this podcast. If there were any um, momentary lapse of what we were saying or just pauses, it's because we're just staring like lovingly at I know, each other. it's like, so right? good! Oh my god, <laughs> in person. I know, normally I edit out awkward pauses, but I think I might just leave these in because they're, they're the, endearing. Yeah, they're endearing. Everybody will just be able to feel the love. Darcy Little Badger's YA novel is Elatsaway. Susan Powers' book is called The Grass Dancer. We couldn't do this podcast without the help of quite a few awesome folks. We are grateful to Allison Arnold and Anya Woodhouse for being our rocks and our champions and, t- and for taking care of everyone in the library. Rick for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Carissa. For being the rainbow hanging over our heads and and encouraging us to buy more books. Chris. For good trouble. Kira. For cheerfully acquiring just about anything we ask her to. And then asking if we need anything else. Noelle, Amy, and Todd. For answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Special thanks to... Noelle, Jill, and Steve. For always listening to the end, everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie is our biggest cheerleader. We hope all podcasters have a super fan like her. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks to Justin and Joe, our very own romance heroes. It's cool to be in the same room with you, too. <laughs> <laughs>
And thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and always searching for the next happily ever after.